It is first and moves Connor Taylor, Mark Schoenster, recording directly after the Chiefs Bills game just ended seconds ago, and we've we've actually never recorded immediately after games. This is our first time doing it. There's no time to really sit back and think about stuff. So it's we're just talking before we jumped in, saying it's going to be a little bit more reactionary than normal. We can't sit back and think about things and let things you know, evolve and be like, well, maybe that was the right call. Maybe it wasn't. And just there, it's an emotional night for me as a Packers fan, but we we can get to that as sure. But I I thought it was a good day of football overall. There's ups and downs, but I thought it was a good overall divisional, uh, I mean, championship day. Yeah. I mean, they were two decent games, Both all four teams brought, brought their football. You know, we got to see some Packers football. We got to see some Buccaneers football. We got to see some Bills football, and we we definitely saw some Chiefs football today. And, and I think that all four teams, regardless of or regardless, the two teams that lost, although it hurts, you could you can at least be proud that you didn't get yourself embarrassed. Like the Bills, even though the Chiefs kind of comfortably coasted through the last three quarters of that game, they still went in and they gave it their all, and they gave it a good look. Where and th- there were no embarrassments per se, and so that's one positive that uh, every fan base that was that had a had a dog in the fight today can rest their hat on. I thought for a little bit that the Packers were going to be embarrassed, and it was going to be a very a very long night. Thinking about that, I was already just thinking about key plays that happened and and occurred, especially in that first half, and then immediately in that second half. So I guess we can just jump into the Packers box and then we'll get to Chiefs Bills and we'll just go in order of what, what happened today. But the the biggest thing for me, one of the bigger things, at least in the first half, was third down conversions. And that, that first drive that went three for three on third downs. Yeah. And overall, the game that went nine for 14, uh, not, a, not amazing third down conversion, but right after – you know, the whole game played out, but nine for 14 is, is very good. And if those Packers just defense got one or two third down stops and the first half, it would have been completely different, but I thought that was huge. And then there was one, obviously big completion to Chris Godwin on a third down that probably shouldn't happen. It led to the Leonard Fournette 20 yard run. But to me, it was the biggest thing is I didn't feel like the Packers defense, their D line didn't get much pressure uh, most of the game towards the, the second half. They did a little bit more, that first half, it just seemed like they were never getting pressure. They would get them in third and long situations. And then, you know, when you're paying for those pass rushers, like the Smith brothers, Rashawn, Gary, Kenny Clark, they weren't bringing it home. And yeah. it, it, it hurt. You know, uh, Zadarius Smith is someone I expect to show up on a day like this, and he didn't. But Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't bring it up in our show today, Connor, beforehand, but I thought two big names – in this game would have been Kenny Clark and Zadarius Smith. Like they needed to show up and make some plays and neither one really had a huge impact on the game. And that's huge because uh, as it's been said for a cup for, for years now, the secret to really messing up Tom Brady is a pass rush. Now I, I will say this, Tom Brady did not have a amazing game, especially his second half was, was not a good showing. But the fact of the matter was, is you, you let 
we'll, we'll say 21 points because one was off of a turnover within the red zone. Like we'll, we'll give the Packers that they stepped it up in the second half uh, defensively, but in that first half, you gave up 21 points, including two really easy drives early in the game that gave the Buccaneers, uh, you know, a comfortable start to the game. So uh, I agree with that. And, and you mentioned they went four for four on that first drive on third down and then proceeded to be nine of 14, something along those lines. Well, if you cut out that, then their third down defense was okay. Obviously you still want it better than that. Uh, you know, five of 10 or six of 11, whatever it was. That's, that's not great, but obviously uh, you would want to do better. Um, but I agree that defense, the front seven, which coincidentally is the, the thing the Buccaneers hang their hat on. Um, what was lacking today here for the Green Bay Packers? And they, they did step it up in the second half. They basically, I would say, only gave up three points because the the turnover from Aaron Jones, they had one play there at like the five-yard yeah. line. I don't blame the Packers' defense whatsoever on that. So they stepped it up. They got three huge interceptions. But on the other side of the ball, I think – this Bucks defensive line, like they've carried this team this whole year, carried the team today. They got five sacks total. It was three by Barrett and two by Pierre Paul. And they're bringing pressure constantly against Rodgers. And it felt like the first game that I missed Batiari and the Packers missed him as well. Oh, just, yeah. It was huge. Rick Wagner was killing me today. And I mean, it was just times I was like, oh my goodness. And it was, it was difficult. It's, the thing is, I felt confident going into this game because we they did they handled the Rams well, and I thought that's a good D line. I think this was that much better, but I guess the matchups here aren't aren't suited for the for the Packers here against this defensive line. But I thought this was a huge D line game by by the Buccaneers, Mark. Yeah, well, I mean, the Buccaneers defense time and time again this season have proven that when they decide it's their game, it's their game. And they're going to not only sack the quarterback, which they did several times in this game, break the pocket like they did on numerous accounts today. They also, the the, the front four and the linebacking core also got their hands in front of some passes as well that were also pretty huge. Like we talk about that dropped two point conversion by Equinemia St. Brown. It wouldn't have been a drop pass if who was a Jason Pierre Paul hadn't gotten his hand on or Sue, I think it was Sue who got his hand on it, but Pierre Paul, I think got his hand on a pass. Uh, Devin white got his hand on a pass. Like, uh, like that's another big factor. And that can get into the head of your quarterback and in the head of your wide receivers. When you, you throw a pass that you think you've completed and suddenly it doesn't even get halfway there or even a third of the way there because a hand has gone up and poked it. So that's a, that's the thing. And that's how a front four front seven can really take over a game and how a team that maybe on paper has less talent can, and I'm not going to say the bucks have less talent than the Packers because they're chock full of talent, but, but maybe a team that at any point in the game may not be looking as great can suddenly look infinitely better just because their front seven wins in the trenches, swats passes, gets some sacks and, and dominates the game. It was really big. And I think, Another thing I, I wanted to to touch on was the kind of end of the, the first half. It was some plays that uh, occurred where the interception, and we mm-hmm. can get into the refs a little bit later. I don't blame the refs by anything, but we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. I thought the weirdest thing for me was they ended up going for it on a fourth down. Before that, they ended up kind of lobbing one, and I was I think it was – 
Redmond was I thought should have had the interception. I was like, yeah, which was turned out to be huge that it didn't it intercept. Se- it seemed it. inconsequential at the time. Mm-hmm. The reason I was like, I was like, okay, they're going to punt it. But I was like, I would wish he still caught it because then there's not a muff punt opportunity or something mm-hmm. just weird happening. And it turns out great. Something weird happened. But yeah. the weirdest thing is Mike Patton, which I think he'll probably be fired. And I'm not going to say much on it because it's one of those things where it's your team, you know, your DC and OCs. And you're like, you always hear those fans talking about firing their coordinators mm-hmm. and yeah. really actually knows why they should or shouldn't not be fired. Mm-hmm. but he th- i think he'll probably be fired he plays prevent all the time but then this one time he decides to leave kevin king alone out there and just have one safety and it, it i'll tell you connor wild it looked like the new york jets playing the oakland raiders <laughs> oh mark that, hurts. that is that's what it looked like it looked like they were playing cover zero because it, it was the exact same kind of play scotty miller ran a real ran a wheel route and so did Henry Ruggs, and they were left open and by themselves. And I just, I remember looking at the play and going, how do you let that happen? How does that happen? We could talk about the decision to kick a field goal near the end of the game or, or a different play call. But to me, that was the sin of the game for the Green Bay Packers. You could have been, uh, you could even get mad that, that, that the holding call wasn't called on that interception prior to that but you let that become a touchdown and that should not have been a touchdown. That game should have been 14 or maybe 17 to 10 at halftime, which is much more, which is less scary and less disheartening than 21 points. So I, in my opinion, after chewing on this game a little bit while I was watching the second game, my thought was that that's the unforgivable play. And I think that's the play that gets pet and fired because as a non-Packers fan, that's just unforgivable in a playoff game. It's just weird because also Kevin King, which I think he'll probably not be back with. The, he's one of those players that when he's on your team, he makes for the big plays, but then gets beat. And he's just an yeah. up and down valley mountaintop kind of guy that you, you kind of love and kind of hate at the same time. Yeah. Which he had that type of game today. Mm-hmm. But he, some reason, always seems to back off of people. And today he was up, but also he didn't seem, he seemed shocked that Miller was going for the end zone, which drove me nuts he seemed like oh why why is he going such a long route like why is he doing a it just shocked me but that that was a big thing for me as well and then coming out in the half you think okay we're down 11 you can do stuff and then aaron jones ends up getting injured and fumbling the ball and that could also be his last game as a packer which is uh, yeah. sad but it's expected as a running back but moving forward overall do you think tom brady had a good game mark do you think because i think i was there's a, there's a lot of goat talk and I get it, but to me, it just annoyed me. Cause to me, it wasn't a great day today from him. Yeah. Connor, the first half a little bit, but definitely oh, the Connor, second half. you're, 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 you're poking me here because <laughs> I'm mad about this game because I, I grew up disliking Tom Brady as a Colts fan, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, that was just the rivalry. And as I grew older, I grew sick of seeing Tom Brady in Super Bowls all the time. And if people want to make a goat argument, that's fine. You can make the goat argument and, and talk about how successful he's been. There's no denying he's the most successful quarterback in NFL history, obviously. Um, and, and I will make my argument that he's not the goat, but that's a different day here. For me though, nothing that happened today contributes to the argument for Tom Brady. Nothing. 
he had two good drives and then he he played some decent football but then his second half he did he, he played bad football if that was Josh Allen or Lamar if that was Lamar Jackson people <laughs> would have been all over Tom Brady you if can't all pass over, yeah you can't throw the ball why is he throwing those ducks across the field like people would have been all over him and then if the Buccaneers won that game they would have said oh well Lamar Jackson got lucky that his defense bailed him out but no instead everyone's saying oh it's the goat it's the goat no today had today was not a good piece to Tom Brady's resume Yes, he's playing for a different football team, but that doesn't matter. It, it's it's bothersome to me because I don't think it had any. It, it doesn't. It's not a good contribution. Again, I'm totally fine if you want to argue that Tom Brady's the greatest of all time. You can pull up a lot of great stats, a lot of great games, a lot of times where Tom Brady seemed like the best player to ever play football, and I won't deny that because Tom Brady has had some fantastic moments. Today was by far not one of those moments. So. Uh, it, it really did irk me when I was seeing all those posts because I don't see why anything that happened today makes him any look, make him look any better than how he was yesterday or, or, or this playoff run this season, if we're going to be quite honest, mm-hmm. his best game was against the football team, which was, uh, it's still an impressive game because that's a good defense, but he did not look great against new Orleans and he did not no. look great for most of the game today. So I don't know. It, it, it does it does poke my buttons a little bit though because I just didn't think it was a good good part of his resume. I agree, Mark. It it bothered me after seeing everyone kind of freaking out. I I'm okay with Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, but they they did annoy me today mm-hmm. more than normal, which I don't really want to get into. I know they're announcers and and whatnot, mm-hmm. and I I know they're not cheering against my team, even though sometimes it feels like that. Yeah, but. Just after it, it was really just talking. It was so much about him being the GOAT. And one of the biggest things for me that I saw was a, was a fun stat was Brady became the first quarterback in Super Bowl era to throw three picks on the road in the championship round and win. So I just feel like that just speaks to, you know, you're not supposed to win that game when you throw three picks. Yeah, okay. They were using that as an argument. I didn't watch the post game because I flicked it over to the other game. So I didn't see that, but I mean, I, I no, hope it, it wasn't, it wasn't, it was something I read. Oh, okay. On, it was saying that he was the first quarterback to ever uh, make, win a championship game while throwing three picks. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a good, it was, it was against him. It was okay. a pro Tom Brady, but okay. I thought that showed that, Hey, you're not supposed to win this game when you didn't yeah. really play that well overall. Mm-hmm. I just think overall the Packers made too many sticks. At the yeah. end of the day, they they missed opportunities. They still had a shot because they were sort of piecing it together. They got three interceptions. They ended up punting on one. They missed a two-point conversion earlier in the game. Uh, Devontae Adams dropped a first and goal opportunity, which you know the announcer was saying that's 99 out of 100 times, and yeah. I completely agree with that. That was the one time that they missed, and it's one they needed back. But they just seemed off a little bit, but – Let's talk about the the fourth down call, Mark. Where do you land on that? Um, I was confused. My initial reaction was confusion because I thought, oh, that's weird. And then I tried to rationalize it because uh, although there are times where I like to try to criticize what's going on in an NFL game, there are also times where there are decisions, especially third down point decisions, that I try to rationalize what the head coach is thinking. 
And for a moment, I had myself convinced. I thought, oh, well, you kick the field goal and you can get the ball back. And at that point, you don't have to worry about the two-point conversion if you score a touchdown. But then my thought kind of ran through the flip side. So first off, you could get the touchdown and the two-point. You could get the touchdown, get the two-point conversion, tie ball game right there. Awesome. You could get the touchdown, miss the two-point conversion, and still kick the ball back to the other team and stop them on three timeouts like you're you're hedging your bets on by kicking the field goal. Or you fail the touchdown play, and now the Bucks are within their own like 10-yard line, and you still have to count on them to get the stop anyway because that's what you're hedging on in the first place by kicking a field goal. And should they, you know, get the first downs, then whatever, that's the same result as it would be if you kicked the field goal. And then you would get the ball punted to the like midfield where you then would have to score a touchdown, which, and then get the two point conversion granted, but you have to score a touchdown no matter which scenario you're running through. And I just felt like you go for it on fourth down there because you have the chance to tie the football game. I think you have to take it, especially when the repercussions are, you could still get another chance at it. You know, I, I, I don't know. Uh, obviously in the spur of the moment, you have to make a decision. Like the play clock starts the moment the next play is done. But I, I just think that you got to give Aaron Rodgers the MVP, another I'm spoiling my pick for MVP later in this episode, but uh, I mean, I, you just got to give him another shot and you also got to tell him to maybe tuck the ball and run it too. But that, that's neither here nor there. It didn't lose the Packers the game, but no. it, it it wasn't the nail in the coffin. There's a there's a play later that was the nail in the coffin. But I I do think there's you know some things on Twitter, some screenshots, some videos that Rogers could have ran it in. I don't think he could have ran it in. But yeah, it been fourth and three, fourth and four, where I think Matt Lafleur is probably way more likely to go for it. Mm-hmm. So that would have been a pretty big you know couple yard gain. So I don't I don't blame Rodgers by any means. I think he probably looking back, he might be like, okay, I, I could have gained a couple of yards and then we would have went for it on fourth down maybe. Yeah, but- I think um, a second thing just to – this might also be – the fact that he didn't tuck it and run could be attributed to just how well that uh, Buccaneers linebacking core had been chasing him down all game. Mm-hmm. Like Rodgers, when he rolled out of the pocket, didn't buy himself that much more time because that's a fast front seven. Mm-hmm. And I think – after three and almost another full quarter of that happening, Rogers calculated in his head that he wouldn't be able to make it. And he probably was right. Like you're saying, and that's a credit to the bucks because Rogers has tucked it and run in similar situations in the past because he knew the guys couldn't catch him. Yeah. I, I don't think he would have made it. There's a guy right behind him, guy to his left and two solid linebackers at the goal line could have gained yards, probably made a difference, but in the day I, w- I would have went for it as well. It was weird. You explained the situation perfectly. That didn't make much sense, but yeah, I don't blame Matt LaFleur. I don't think he had his best day. I know he was saying he was disappointed in his post-game press conference. He's saying he didn't have his A game on a day. And mm-hmm. I, I agree with him, but he's a young coach. Hopefully he'll be back. You never know, but hopefully he'll be back. The refs though, Mark, I, I thought they are going to, I was going to bring them up before that, that final call, because I thought they weren't, they weren't awful by any means, but mm-hmm. they, they were kind of bad at points where I was like, man, they're, they're kind of doing some things. I wish they wouldn't do. They're letting some plays go that I wish they would call. And then the consistency, which they had. So I was Mm going to kind of give them to them. I was like, well, they were consistent. They let some Mm -hmm. things they normally call go. 
mm-hmm. but then it then it flipped and it's yeah. gonna leave a mark on this game and a especially a bad taste in Packers fans mouth. yeah and what a shame what a what a way to soil the way the game was going and it, it made me so mad and I'm not even a Packers fan now granted I am a certified Patriots slash Tom Brady despiser. <laughs> I've been despising them for a long time. So I'm just about as invested in every game against them as I am for my own football team, the Colts. But uh, it, it's a shame because you're right. Throughout the game, their mantra was let the boys play. And there are times where I thought that was disagreeable. I thought that was disagreeable on the Alan Lazard interception. I thought it was disagreeable on some other plays. Uh, on that same drive that the Lazard interception happened on, I don't know who who was in your left tackle. I'm drawing a blank, but he jumped like false start, like a good second or two clear before the ball snapped and they didn't call it. And I thought, what on earth? How'd they not see that? <laughs> they erred on the side of not calling things the entire day. And then they enforced a double standard when the game was on the line. Like that yeah. was, that was the Packers last chance to stay in the game. And the refs decided then to dis- to change the standard because it was an important play, I guess. I don't know. Uh, and the fact that they hesitated to throw that flag yeah. also added to the bitterness because it made it seem like they were second-guessing themselves and then decided to throw it because they didn't they didn't want to be the guy to not throw the flag on a big play when a flag should have been thrown. And I think that that's just cowardice. And you, you can't let that control your decision making as a referee and i understand it's hard the pressure of being an nfl ref is is insane i've been a i've been a high school soccer ref (laughs) and i feel the stress and pressure of making sure i don't miss a call and so i can't imagine someone on that level but the fact of the matter is is you're right they set a president whether you agree with it or not they set one they set the standard for the game and then they broke their own standard last second and that's just disappointing and the thing is, Johnson sold it well, which is which is fine. It's what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, I think I would just rather have it flipped. I would rather them generally in basketball, football, mm-hmm. hockey. I'm not really a big fan of soccer, but I, I like let them play at the final couple minutes. But throughout the game, I'm 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 okay if they flip it where it's like they're they're more calling in the beginning than the final minutes to say, hey, we're gonna leave the game and yeah. then be more aggressive and physical overall Mm -hmm. and it just seemed like they flipped it where they went nope we're gonna call the touchy ones which Mm -hmm. it was it was a penalty i i grabbed him but like it was. i agree with it but i don't think it was huge you maybe could argue that's uncatchable i don't know if he could he he definitely slowed him down but it left a sour taste and kind of saddened the ending because it felt like a really good game and i think Probably most people wanted to see if Rodgers could get something going at the end. Yeah, I think people were definitely curious to see if he could pull one out on a defense that had done very well, especially in the fourth quarter against that Packers defense. And and that's and it's the kind of play that it's a play that erases the story of the game because now people aren't going to remember that competitive football game. They're going to remember how it ended. And mm-hmm. that's a shame because I, I feel like we've been waiting for that classic uh in this playoff run and we haven't really gotten a true classic like there's a couple of moments we're going to remember i think the biggest one is probably chad henny i think that's probably the (laughs) biggest thing at this point which is kind of sad but it's kind (laughs) of true and then there's now this people are going to remember that pi call but they're not going to remember the fact that the you know 
the Packers clawed back into the game and then the Buccaneers defense buckled down and played really well in the fourth quarter to, to, to keep them alive in the game after, you know, Tom Brady had thrown a couple interceptions and, and that's a shame, but you know, sometimes that's how it goes. I mean, we, I hate to say it because uh, someone sent me a picture today and I thought it was interesting and it brought back to the thought, you know, if I can admit that the, the Roby Coleman non-pass interference call is still worse than that one referring to the Rams Saints championship game two years ago, then this wasn't as bad because uh, if I can already admit it today, the day it yeah. happened, then I, uh, then it, it's not as bad as that one. And that one definitely ruined the story of a, great game mm-hmm. so uh that, that's how i'm trying to look at it i mean we can look at the packers and what they could have done and they had some missed opportunities and I, I think that's what you have to reflect on if you are the packers organization because if you're just going to try and point the finger at the ref then you're not going to get any better next season yeah which there's some there's some cap structure some things some people probably moving on which i think is going to be hard for the packers to We'll we'll see. We'll we'll wait and see how the offseason goes. But there there's something there Rogers now one and four in championship games. Mm-hmm. And it's I've had a pretty good sports fandom, obviously, with the Packers. They've been pretty good since I've been alive. And I don't want to complain by any means, but it's it sucks to be honest, because you get to this yeah. point and then you end up losing constantly. But on the Bucks it's, side, yeah. the the first team to make the Super Bowl in their home stadium. And that is I don't I honestly I was I think surprisingly, I think I was going to be more mad at the Vikings got to do it. I know I hate Tom Brady, but I think the Vikings were irked me more. But that's probably just individual rivalries. Are you are you pretty upset by this, Mark, or do you care? I mean, I'm pretty upset by it, but I guess at least it's a year where, ironically, all year <laughs> I've been mad that uh, there haven't been fans in the stands, and now I'm I'm like, okay, you know what? It's all right because there's less fans in the stands, so it's it's okay, it's more okay. But I'm still upset, like. I'm thinking of all the people to be the first player to or the first quarterback to play on their home field for a Super Bowl. It's of course it's Tom Brady and uh, and it's a wild card team that haven't had a home game. And maybe you could say, well, they earned this home game by winning three. Games. <laughs> no team has ever earned a home Super Bowl game. It's supposed to be played on a neutral field. Uh, <laughs> it, what a shame. It's a shame. But, you know. I mean, I'll be crossing my fingers that hopefully the, the Buccaneers lose on their home field and I can laugh about it as opposed to uh, be very sad uh, if the Buccaneers end up winning winning the Super Bowl. But yeah, I mean, I would have been mad and I, I think you probably would have been more irritated with the Vikings because it, it is a rivalry thing. But it, in my opinion, I never want a team to have a home Super Bowl. Yeah. I just think that that's kind of it, it's an unfair advantage. I don't know what the odds are, but I feel like it was probably inevitable. It was eventually going to happen, but I, I fall in line with you where I wish it never occurred. Yeah. We can jump to chiefs bills though. Mark bills jumped out to a nine Oh lead, but let me tell you, I did not feel scared at all for the chiefs. Did, did you, did that scare you at all? Were you like, Oh, who cares? It's nine. Oh, they've, yeah. they've been in way nope. worse. Nope, 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 nope. And uh, it was interesting because I'll, I'll shout out a podcast slash live streamer, Tom Grossi. Um, he actually hits his podcast called the Packcast, So he's a he's a Green Bay Packers fan. And he um, so shout out to him. He live streams his like reactions to, okay. to games this season. And so he did the Green Bay game. And I decided to keep uh, listening along because I was uh, 
supposed to watch the game with other people, but the roads are really icy here in Morgantown. So that didn't happen. So he, he, he was my virtual buddy that I just listened to his reactions to as I was watching the uh, Green Bay game or watching the uh, both games actually. But uh, someone said Chiefs fans shouldn't be concerned until they're down 28, nothing. And he was like, yep. And I also 100% agreed. The, uh, the Chiefs were down 24 to nothing against the Texans last year, the playoffs. And then suddenly it was gone like that. And lo and behold, it happened. It was, it was inevitable. And uh, I thought an interesting stat that I looked into when I was previewing the, the Buccaneer season for our show this morning. And it was the fact that of the four teams that uh, were in the championship game this weekend, three of them, were the top three scoring offenses in the NFL. The one that wasn't was the Kansas city chiefs. So um, if that's that not an interesting, that if that's not an amusing stat, I don't know what is because it, it, if you ask anyone who the best offense in the NFL is, there's only one answer that anyone comes up with. So it, it's such an amusing thing to think about. And I think it, it, it further proves our theory of the goofing off for 16 games <laughs> for the season and then just coming in and the, and they they blow the tops off of, of of these teams or i guess the, the bills they didn't really blow off the the, the browns last week but they might they, have they, if they might have yeah. yeah blew the lids off of the bills and everyone was just like yeah i mean what did, i mean what did you expect i mean 38 points that's jump change <laughs> for the chiefs and yet they weren't they were statistically the worst offense of the four teams remaining uh, if you just look at numbers so funny stuff very amusing well, let's take a quick break and we'll be back with plenty more to talk about the Chiefs and Bills. Have you ever wondered why everyone and their mother seems like they have a podcast today? Well, it's probably because there's over a million podcasts a day alone and it continues to grow every single day. And you've probably wondered, how do I start a podcast? And you've probably thought, it's too expensive. I don't have the equipment. It'll be too difficult. I just can't do it. Well, let me tell you, you're wrong. There's a platform called Anchor and it's the simplest way to make a podcast. And I did some light background research for you. First off, it's free. There's creations tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many more platforms. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Go make a podcast. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M to get started. And we are back. First in moves, Connor Taylor, Mark Schoenster. We are reacting to Championship Sunday on Sunday night, it's going to go up immediately after and then air on United to the Moose on Tuesday. So you're getting a quick turnaround today. But let's, uh, I thought one thing I was seeing though was uh, the Bills' red zone offense struggled. They had to settle for some field goals, and you can't do that against the Chiefs. Everyone knows no. that you can't do that. And I, I was kind of shocked that they settled for some field goals. But were, were you kind of shocked that they went for some field goals at any point? Or do you think at that time it's an okay decision? Um, at times it made sense. And then I never had – there was never a moment to me where I was truly shocked they went for yeah. a field goal. 
I, I thought it made obviously you you hate to do it because you're playing the Chiefs, but you'd also hate to not get any points at all because that mm-hmm. would be truly truly crushing. Um, and it's shocking because to me, the the they've been shoving the narrative of how good the Bills red zone offense has been all playoffs and for good reason the bills have been incredibly efficient in the red zone and without mistakes and it just goes to show you that the chiefs defense really came to play today because kudos to them for holding the bills to 24 points and some of that being garbage time points and uh just that because people will forget just how good this bill's offense was literally all season i mean they're the ones who were second in the nfl in scoring not the kansas city chiefs and so the chiefs defense and sneed you pointed him out today uh really stepped up had a great game hope he's healthy for the super bowl and the pass rush came to play and the secondary did their part i mean they stepped they, they're stepping up again after some people thought they were questionable throughout the season, they're doing it again. They're doing what they did last season where suddenly the defense is here to play almost as if Andy Reid's just been hiding a couple secrets tucked away that he was, wasn't going to let out until the off season or until the playoffs because so then no one can game plan for it. And then boom, here it is. You can't stop it because you haven't seen it yet this season. And uh, well, now you are in for several more problems that you weren't prepared for. And Another thing I was thinking about when watching the game is the Bills almost try to beat the Chiefs at their own game, which is pretty dangerous. I know, I believe we talked about it earlier on this podcast. I don't remember what week it was. I asked you the question, you know, how do you think you can beat the Bills? Do you think you should go shot for shot, blow for blow? Or do you think you should do a run style offense like the Browns, Colts, Ravens, or then there's the Bills who's going to try to play like the chiefs and it just doesn't seem like it's going to work especially with someone like josh allen who's no one's really comparable to patrick mahomes but josh allen's pretty sporadic and i don't think he's going to be someone that's going to be able to hang in there all the time with patrick mahomes yeah i think uh, we we've definitely talked about this a couple times and i remember my opinion very firmly being you're not going to beat the chiefs by playing their game and i know that whenever you play the bills you have to play the bills you play the, way, the same way you play the Chiefs. And uh, I always thought that the Browns or the Ravens or the Colts would have a better chance of beating the Chiefs and the Bills, even if the Bills are maybe a higher quality football team. The fact of the matter is, is they're more equipped to have the right day, you know, kind of thing where, sure, mm-hmm. the Chiefs would win in most most given matchups, but I felt like the Ravens, Colts, Browns, had the better any given Sunday kind of factor. Whereas the Bills were going to try to beat the Chiefs playing the Chiefs the same way the Chiefs play football. And that was just not going to work because Patrick Mahomes is better than Josh Allen. Uh, Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey, uh, Meikle Hartman, and that wide receiving core is better than the Bills receiving core. Now that's not a slight to the Buffalo Bills receiving core. And I think Stefan Diggs is probably better than any of those guys individually. Uh, the combination of all the pieces. Cause I think outside of Stefan Diggs, the chiefs have it better easily uh, wide receiving wise. And so it, it was a matter of unless Josh Allen continues to upgrade and, and get better and better and more consistent, that's not how he is going to beat the uh, Kansas city chiefs. They're going to have to figure out the run game, which they deserted this season. I thought Devin Singletary would be a bigger aspect of this team. And instead 
they were pass all the time. You talk about how when they played the Seahawks, they just passed the ball over and over and over again. And I thought that was kind of an indictment of the Seahawks defense, but it proved to be a two. There were two reasons for that. First off, the Seahawks pass defense was bad. And secondly, the Buffalo Bills run offense just wasn't working this year. Devin Singletary really regressed. So that's something the Bills are going to need to work on if they want to beat the Chiefs. And I hate to say it, but the Chiefs aren't going anywhere. But neither are yeah. the Bills. And, and evolving happens. And so I think that's going to be their big challenge this offseason is figure out how to run the ball because if you're going to beat the Chiefs, you're going to control time of possession. And I don't think getting into a shootout uh, means you're trying to dominate time of possession. You mentioned talking about Chiefs wide receivers, which something I was just thinking about the game and that's hit me before, which is every player on the Chiefs just seems incredibly fast. Like, it just oh, yeah. seems, like everyone. I mean, Kelsey doesn't seem fast, but he's just got – he's a magician. He's got a mm-hmm. knack for finding – soft spots and zones like anytime yeah. i see a zone i'm like well kelsey will find a way to be open it does not yeah. matter he will find a way to be open but then you've got other people like tyreek hill mccall hardman that just speedsters and it just feels mm-hmm. like anyone they draft is incredibly fast and knows how to get open but i had a question for you mark yeah stefan diggs or tyreek hill at this point in time i guess you got two questions you could ask things like hey who matters more to their offense or who's Mm -hmm. better just uh if you take away their offenses overall if i had to pick one or the other i think oh that's tough because i feel like when when we talk about the top three wide receivers and i always say like Devontae adams uh deandre hopkins and i used to say julio jones he may be regressing we'll see but if julio jones is still in that spot i always was thinking that tyree kill and maybe Michael Thomas or or Stefan Diggs have have slipped into that four and five spot. So that's tough. I mean, Tyree Kill is insane because he is so speedy. And I don't want to just say he's fast because he's he's good at route running and he shakes off guys crazy. Like he, he, his moves are insane. Stefan Diggs, incredibly mature receiver as far as his play is concerned. Um, great route runner, great hands very reliable if I wanted to have one on my football team it's really hard because I really liked it I think I go with Tyree Kill Diggs had the better season but I think Tyree Kill is is just so incredible as Mm -hmm. far as the speed is concerned um uh, as a football player Tyree Kill I think slightly has the edge over Diggs but it's very close I would, I would obviously, if you have one, you're, you're going to be happy. Mm-hmm. I think maybe Tyreek Hill is a little bit more versatile, just slightly. You could do more in your offense with him, but Stefan Diggs to me almost fits more of the, uh, the prototype, what we expect of the wide receiver where you can kind of throw it up mm-hmm. to him, which we've talked about before. You don't yeah. feel like Tyreek Hill is that guy that you're giving a hell Mary to per se yeah. at the end of the game, but it got a little vicey at the end. Yeah. Mark, and I mean, could this, are we seeing a, a rivalry in the making in the playoffs right now? Or do you think this is, I mean, obviously both teams got to stay relevant for years to come, but do you think this is a potential rivalry we're going to, we're going to see here? Uh, I don't know. That wasn't the vibe I got. I thought that it was just the bills were frustrated. And also 
I think the Bills were trying to fight for some of their pride. And I think Bills Mafia will 100% appreciate the, yeah. the fight and the grit that they showed. Um, I th- I laughed when I saw the replay of Josh <laughs> Allen throwing the football at, at the at Okafor. And uh, I thought that was really funny. It, it wasn't very sportsmanlike. And then the fight broke out. But I think Bills Mafia will be all for it. They'll be all for there being some fire and in their Bills team, having some personality and some flair, even if maybe it's not the classy thing to do. Uh, I think they'll appreciate it, reflecting a bit of how wild their fan base is as well. And I don't know. I think it needs more than one occasion for it to get bad because I wasn't convinced that the Ravens-Titans sort of fiasco was uh, anything major until it happened again, and then it happened again. And now it's really – it's happened several times now and and now i am very uh invested in them as a rivalry and the and the coaches and the players have all said things about each other i don't think i don't think anybody from the chiefs i don't think andy reed's gonna say anything bad about the bills and i don't think sean mcdermott is gonna say anything bad about the chiefs so i imagine this was probably a one-time thing i i definitely see that perspective it'd be fun if it was a rivalry i mean i would be welcome to it my question is offsetting penalties. That that was also hilarious because I guess, I guess I just don't understand how offsetting penalties work. And I, I'm all right with that. Don't really always understand some some uh, penalties per se, but I thought it was weird that they all offset somehow. And then another funny part about that is you could hear, I guess, like another ref yelling out the numbers. Like he just mm-hmm. sounded like, could you hear it, Mark? There's like I, I didn't hear it. There's some other ref, like before the the announcer with the mic said the penalty and the number, mm-hmm. you, this dude in the background would just like yell, like, I don't know how far you stand about, but it was one of the funniest things to me because he would be like, Sunday sex. It just, it made me laugh. But <laughs> yeah, I didn't hear it. Overall, I I, uh, I thought the game was good, but I, I'm pretty confident in the Chiefs to hopefully handle business. I, uh, I'm really really hoping they'll handle business and like you said Andy Reid's hopefully holding some things back to liven things up but were there any other big takeaways from this game overall for you and the Chiefs Bills um just the fact that Patrick Mahomes despite knowing that he's amazing still will amaze me in a football game he'll make throws and do things that I'm just thinking geez like that's so crazy. And what's really funny to me, and this has less to do with the game and more about my my opinion on the Chiefs, or at least my my emotional attachment to the Chiefs going into the Super Bowl. The entire season, I've been saying, you've been saying, who can beat the Chiefs? Who can beat the Chiefs? Who's going to stop the Chiefs from winning the Super Bowl again? And my thought the entire season was, man, I hope a team steps up and stops the Chiefs. And now there's one game left in the season. And suddenly my thought has switched to, man, I hope the Chiefs win the Super Bowl because <laughs> I don't want to see the Buccaneers win it. So really just a funny little switch last second. Um, and that's not be- like I dislike the Chiefs. I just like to see things more interesting. So it wasn't like I have to pick the lesser of, or the lesser of evils. Uh, last time I really felt that way was the Seahawks Patriots, just because I, uh, at the time I felt like I didn't want to see the Seahawks repeat and you know, they were talking all their trash and, and all that. And I just was like, oh, man, I don't really like them, but I'll root for them because I don't want to root for the Patriots. Um, so it, it's not that I like Patrick Mahomes. Watching Patrick Mahomes is a lot of fun. And it'll be it would be fun to see him pick apart a great defense like he did last year in the Super Bowl. So uh, that, that was really the last thing that I that came to my mind watching that game, because really a lot of it was unsurprising. I think the most surprising thing was 
how few points the Bills offense put up. And that's yeah. just a that's just uh kudos to the Chiefs defense. That is a funny uh, a point that you you found out Mark cuz I agree. I kind of wanted a team to step up and beat the Chiefs, but now it's no, I want the Chiefs to win. Yeah. <laughs> and they're likable to be honest. I yeah. I do not dislike them. And they've just got a little swagger to them that I, I'm sure some people dislike them already, but I mm-hmm. have not grown fatigued of them whatsoever. And I'm a, I'm a Belichick fan, not a Brady fan. So anyone, anyone that charges $160 for a, uh, a, a flexibility roller <laughs> does not deserve my attention from Brady. hundred it's $160 on his website, just a normal roller. Mm-hmm. That's insane, Mark. But anyways, we've got an NFL awards today. MVP, Offensive Player of the Year, obviously more down the line we're going to talk about as well. But let's let's start with the uh, most valuable player, Mark. Going Aaron Rodgers, I'm happy about it. Sucks that we don't make the Super Bowl, but I think Aaron Rodgers is deserving. Had a phenomenal season. I also think the narrative worked out for him because they drafted a QB. There's It's a narrative award. And Patrick Mahomes will have amazing seasons where he wins more as MVPs, but it's going to be hard for him to continuously win because people get tired of the same person. Mm. That's why I think Aaron Rodgers had a good enough year. Statistically, that's even slightly better than Mahomes, and the narrative is more on his side. You're right. It's most certainly a narrative award, or it's the the new cool thing award, which you would maybe think at the beginning of the year, like, oh, well, then it wouldn't be Aaron Rodgers, but the cool new thing this year was Aaron Rodgers is suddenly stepped back up mm-hmm. after people thought he'd be bad. They drafted a quarterback. They drafted a, a running back in the second round. It looks like the Packers are preparing for the future. And then Aaron Rodgers shows up with his Aaron Rodgers swagger and, and reels and deals for 16 games. I also have Aaron Rodgers as, as my most valuable player. Even if I think Patrick Mahomes is the best player in the NFL and he, competed almost at that level all season he statistically had some poor games than Rodgers Rodgers had less poor games and had more dominant games than Patrick Mahomes did and I think that I mean they were the number one scoring offense in the NFL this season and so I I just think that you you, you, the narrative is what pushes it over to because Patrick Mahomes is coming off a Super Bowl like what's new it's just Patrick Mahomes continuing being Patrick Mahomes where Aaron Rodgers is is stepping up again and is busting narratives and and all that I think that's what gives him the edge and I also think that uh, he just played more impressive in the regular season because we said it before the, the Chiefs didn't take it seriously I think Rodgers did and if you take it seriously you play better Offensive player of the year, obviously you could argue Aaron Rodgers, but I think that's kind of a, a lame pick. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna go I'm gonna go Derrick Henry, actually. I think uh it might be a little bit weird. Definitely go other people, it's fine with me, but I think Derrick Henry had a a good enough year, a great year, to be honest with you, at, at running back. He led rushing yards by a, a large amount and we don't get a get a lot of love for running backs, so I want to give my love in a place where I can give some love to running backs, which, I mean, he's really the only offense that's led by a running back right now. Yeah, you know, it was interesting because I was reading what PFF thought should be the picks for some of these, and they picked Travis Kelsey, which I thought was a very interesting pick because that's kind of out of left field, but makes a lot of sense because mm-hmm. he's, he, he's broken some tight end records this season. He yeah. was second in the NFL in receiving as a tight end. Uh, 
but I also have Derrick Henry down. And uh, I mean, he had 2K this season. That doesn't happen often. And he was a dominant runner and he had a stretch, uh, his stretch of games from leading into the playoffs last season to now. And I know you're not supposed to account for what happened last season, but he's continued, or he continued a legendary stretch of games. Don't let the, his dud to end the year where they lost to the Ravens define his season. I mean, this is a regular season award. I mean, even. Yeah. And Derrick Henry steamrolled games after steamrolled games. And he was utterly dominant in several performances in games where you knew he was going to get the ball all the time. And he still just didn't care and wrecked everything anyway. So I think when it comes to an offensive play of the year, I think Derrick Henry really fits into that mold. I, I agree. I, Kind of, the Travis Kelsey one is interesting. I love Kelsey, my favorite tight end right now. Kittle's up there. I love I love Kittle mm-hmm. as well. But Kelsey is a phenomenal player, and I think there's – I wish he started week 17 because I kind of want him to lead the NFL in receiving yards, but it's all right. Defensive player of the year, Mark. I wanted to pick someone else in Aaron Donald throughout – we did the midseason uh, predictions, and I believe I picked someone else in Aaron Donald, but – after the whole year unfolded, I'm back on Aaron Donald. How, how do you yeah. even pick someone else besides Aaron Donald when he continuously is the best defensive player? Yeah, I mean, you can talk stats and maybe try and argue like TJ Watt or someone else. But, you know, like Aaron Donald changes the game. Mm-hmm. When you play against Aaron Donald, I said it before, you scrap a part of your playbook. And he just absolutely destroys and it takes injury for him to not look to not absolutely wreck a game even if they lose he wrecks the game and it took him to be hurt for him to not look like that uh, in the playoffs so yeah I have Aaron Donald as well it's really interesting how difficult it is to be a dominant defender for year after year and yet defensive player of the year has a tendency of repeating over and mm-hmm. over again because jj watt had a stretch where he was defensive yeah. player of the year several years in a row it's these dominant defensive tackles that really just it's where a defense it's the core of the defense like, you could talk about how like the middle linebacker is the quarterback of the defense because he calls the shots and he makes adjustments and stuff but the defense is built around a good defensive tackle because if you have that then everything else is easier Everything else becomes easier for the pass rushers, for the linebackers. And then if that's all working well and your, your front seven's good, then your back set or your back four are better. And so it's just, no one is more of a game plan problem than Aaron Donald. And I think that makes him defensive player of the year. And there's obviously some other people that maybe you could argue if you, you know, got tired of Aaron Donald. TJ Watt had a good year. DeForest mm-hmm. Buckner had a good year. Mm-hmm. Miles Garrett had a good year. And you got some other people. Well, I think those are probably the next three in line for me that possibly has a chance of winning defensive player of the year coming forward. But as long as Aaron Donald's in the league, I'm not sure he's going to give that up and if he's healthy mm-hmm. because talked about it before. He seems to always be healthy. Yeah offensive rookie of the year and i can't decide between either the justins justin herbert yeah. or justin <laughs> jefferson i'm i'm fine with either i probably at the end of the day going justin herbert which i kind of i kind of hate because yeah. i you know want to give love besides qbs but i think he deserved it 
overall. I know Justin Jefferson was great, but I think at the end of the day, if I had a vote, I would lean Justin Herbert. Yeah, I mean, there's the what I'd like and what I what I think will happen, plus what pro- what I'm trying to convince myself probably should happen, and that's Justin Herbert broke quarterback rookie records this season with the touchdowns and the yards he was throwing, and and the way he was airing it down the field. Like this wasn't a guy who was getting. Uh, touchdowns handed to him on a silver platter like, like in the red zone or something he was airing it out and trying to keep his team in football games I really would like to to see a wide receiver especially a guy like Justin Jefferson who had a fantastic rookie season get that award but the fact of the matter is is Justin Herbert came along and was a sign of life on on a Chargers team that seemed to want to snuff it any chance they got so I have Justin Herbert, but Justin Jefferson, the biggest accolades to him because he played a fantastic part in this year. One of the steals of the draft in the first round, especially, and more than adequately replaced Stefan Diggs immediately. Defensive rookie of the year. Man, I don't, I don't want to pick Chase Young, but I think it's Chase Young. I, I could see people, Jeremy Chin, getting votes, but I think he was probably just on too bad of a team for maybe people to vote him. But Chase Young didn't have a phenomenal year, but he also made the the playoffs, and I think it's honestly due to him and that D that defensive line. So I'm I'm going Chase Young. I think he had a good enough year. We weren't really blown away. We talked about this one in the mid uh, middle of the season. We said there's not really anyone you know jumping off. It's kind of open right now, but I think mm-hmm. Chase Young did enough. He's got the big enough name where he can uh, take that defensive player of the year. You know, halfway through the season, that's kind of how I felt. And I thought, you know, my prediction at that point was Chase Young would win defensive player of the year due to his just notoriety of being Chase Young. And then the second part of the season happened and he really came into his own. I felt he made some huge tackles for loss in games, including against uh, the first win of the season against the, the Pittsburgh Steelers. He was huge in that game. He forced several fumbles and turnovers and even got a touchdown for his name against the the 49ers and other games. He he forced fumbles and stuff down that stretch. He, he started to wreck games the final stretch of the season when the football team was pushing for the playoffs. And I think that earned him that spot. And I'm no longer upset that he is probably going to win it because he had those huge performances late game in, in the year and he just really stepped up and played like a madman. So I, I think it's Chase Young. And although I had him as the one winning it midseason, I feel much better about it now because I think he deserved it. But shout out to Jeremy Chin. He he also had a great year. I, I enjoy Julian Blackman, uh, safety mm-hmm. for the Colts. Um, I think he has a bit of a learning curve now that he, more film was on him. He has some work to do, but he's definitely got the talent and the playmaking ability. Yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to see who comes out of this draft defensively because Chase Young's were expecting to do a lot. He ended up doing a lot, but mm-hmm. he didn't wow us in the past like we've gotten lucky with. Mm-hmm. Coach of the year, Kevin Stefanski is my pick. I feel like it'll be a lot of people's picks. I think he'll be the one that ends up winning it. Obviously, you were kind of on the the Brian Flores train, but then you said at the end, you were probably saying, hey, whoever makes the playoffs will probably end up winning it, and that's what ended up happening. I think Stefanski has done phenomenal in in Cleveland, and he's 
turned around Baker from looking like an awful QB to back to a mediocre QB, which is probably where maybe he'll stay for a long time. I'd like to preface uh, this by saying that Connor and I made our decisions on who we thought completely on our own, but it makes it seem like we're just both <laughs> arguing the case for a certain person. But I, I think, it, I mean, it makes sense. We've been paying attention to the season and, and some of these seem pretty obvious. Yeah. Kevin Stefanski, uh, you could argue maybe Matt LaFleur. There was a lot of push for Mike Tomlin until they collapsed at the end of the year. Um, I think that Kevin Stefanski, he improved his team drastically. And much like how the MVP is much a narrative-driven award, the coach of the year has turned less into just like who was the best coach and more of who was the best improver. Yeah. Or who, because it, that's just what it's turned into. And Kevin Stefanski very much fits that role. Um, I mean, this Browns team was a mess last season. Such, such talent and just a mess with Freddie Kitchens, penalties, uh, controversies, just sloppy play on the field. And then Kevin Stefanski came in and suddenly that was gone during an off season where they didn't even really get to meet <laughs> each other. Like, that's crazy. And the offense looks smooth and refined. The penalties were, were lower and the team just looked compelling and, and they played a smart style. There are some cool play, play, play designs and stuff along those lines. I think it goes to Stefanski and I know it's the reinforcing narrative that coach of the year is who brought up a team or who really improved a team this season. But I think it just makes sense this season. It definitely makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I obviously wish Matt LaFleur could win coach of the year because I think it'll be hard for him because two 13, three seasons, who knows phenomenal seasons. I don't know how great of a coach he will be if he can, you know, overcome that hurdle and get even, even a better record down the line. But it, it is funny where we are picking the same people, but I think all these awards don't really have, they have like someone second in place, but just not enough to make the mm-hmm. argument from my perspective. And final one is the comeback player of the year. I had, I think it's just Alex Smith. I mean, yeah. I don't know who else you could vote for, to be honest. This is one where there isn't even like a second candidate. Mm-hmm. Like this is a guy. So what really is, uh, it's a scary thought because in other years, it's typically like a star player who was injured and came back and had a great year. Andrew yeah. Luck won it like two years ago. Aaron Rodgers has won it. Like it's that kind of story. It didn't have it this year, but I wonder if there had been one like that, if Alex Smith would win it this year because Alex Smith didn't play a ton of games this season and he didn't play particularly fantastic, but he won football games and his comeback is so more incredible than someone Mm -hmm. who, and I'm not trying to belittle someone who came off like an ACL injury, but like Alex Smith nearly died and then is back playing football again. Like that is insane. And, and that takes some cojones to, to do that. So, I mean, we, we talk about comeback player of the year every single year, but this is a year where a guy truly came back. Like that is quite the story. And I have a lot of, I remember watching the like Alex Smith 11 documentary, which was gruesome and, and brutal to watch and thinking when he was exercise, like getting himself back to football, I thought, why is he going back? Like, why would he do this after everything he's been through? He loves the game and you can't take that away from him. So credit to Alex Smith. What an incredible story. It's amazing. 
that it came back. I mean, you, you explained it well. There's not much to say. He, he's deserving of it. A lot of these players for these awards are deserving of it. But that's our reaction to the championship. Sunday, we have our Super Bowl matchup, Buccaneers, Chiefs. That was his first and moose with Mark Schoenster and Connor Taylor. Thank you for listening.